Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. These Wednesday nights we've been going through the book of Acts. And um, I so enjoy uh, the record of how God worked in the early church. Some people say it could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because uh, it many times tells us the Holy Spirit led one to do this and one to do that and the way that God was at work in having it go from just the church in Jerusalem uh, to churches all over the known Roman world, you know, which is really cool. Now, as we get started, I want to tell you, according to a Sports Illustrated article by Pablo S. Torre a few years back, 60% of NBA, National Basketball Association players, are broke within five years of retirement. I mean, these guys get some big contracts and stuff, but uh, for NFL players, National Football League players, it's even worse. 78% go bankrupt within two years of retirement. (laughs) Maybe that's why uh, uh, Tom... Um, Tom Brady just keeps on playing, right? He's scared, scared he's going to go broke after he stops. But, and it's true a lot of times of uh, celebrity athletes and others. Um, listen to this quote by Boris Becker, who was such a great tennis player in the day. Remember him? He was so great. I like watching some tennis matches. But Boris Becker said, I had won Wimbledon twice before, once as the youngest player. I was rich, had all the material possessions I needed, money, cars, women, everything. I know this is a cliche. It's the old song of the movie and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything and yet they're so unhappy. I had no inner peace. I was a puppet on a string. And uh, so golly, you mean having all these great sports accomplishments and money and notoriety and fame can't fill the hole that's in your soul? And the answer is no. Uh, One of the more sobering discoveries Christians make about themselves is that success is often more toxic to their faith than suffering is. Sometimes we bemoan that for every seeming success in our life there's a suffering, but many times uh, Christians have a much harder time uh, being faithful to the Lord during times of prosperity than they do of times of adversity. And so the Lord does uh, keep us humble through the mix of things in living in this world. I love Psalm 90. We're not going to read it tonight, but if you've never really taken a close look at it, it's the oldest psalm in the Bible because it says it's a Psalm of Moses. And that's where you get the great rendering that you you get 70 to 80 years, you know, and then we fly away. Uh, And uh, so teach us to number our days, the psalm said. And Moses had 120 years. Uh, But it's just a very powerful psalm as it reflects on the brevity of life. It's the one that starts out from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. So he's timeless. We're bound in time. And if we know Him, of course, we'll get to fly away and spend eternity with Him. Uh, But we shouldn't put too much stock in the temporary when we are eternally going to be with the Lord. It's not, not without reason that God calls all true Christians overcomers. You know, it says, by faith we overcome so much. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And there's so many things that we do overcome as we go through this life. 
Tonight we're going to talk about having God's perspective in the midst of suffering and turning suffering into a must-trust situation. And we're going to see a couple guys, Paul and Silas, who were in a must-trust situation. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. I think you'll enjoy it a lot. But then we'll talk about it in relationship to uh, perseverance uh, in the faith and continuing to trust when uh, circumstances aren't going our way. It's a real challenge to us because very few of us during the hard moments of life have ever acted with the kind of praise and singing that Paul and Silas do here. So it's a real inspiration to us uh, to think eternally in the midst of temporary struggles. Acts 16, I'm going to read verses 19 through 40. And you'll remember that Paul had gotten into Philippi. He had uh, preached down by the riverside. Lydia and her family had been saved and baptized. And then uh, as they were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl who was possessed of a demon and her, uh, she'd been used by people and caused her uh, owners much profit by fortune telling and stuff that uh, Paul had saved her. Uh, he cast the demon out and uh, presumably she turned to the Lord too. So there was an up and out person that had been saved, Lydia. It looks like a down and out little girl got saved too that was demon possessed. And uh, I say little girl, you know, by that it could be in her 20s, you know, but uh, she was a slave girl and those days were done. So we read in verse 19, but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. <laughs> and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. They've been humiliated. They've been stripped almost naked. And then they're beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So not just inside the bars, but also uh, they got the ankle cuffs on too. But at midnight... Paul and Silas were asking for the phone call so they could call their lawyer. Uh, at midnight, they were complaining about, woe is me, I can't believe it, you know. No, uh, we are all inspired when we read, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a mega earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Oh, this is great. They can go away like Peter did that time when it happened with him. But look what it says in verse 27. The keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison door open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Uh, he knew the consequences if he didn't still have them prisoners in there. But call, Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then, you can just see the uh, <laughs> prison guard there must have been absolutely stunned. It says, He called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have whatever you guys have? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You and your household. That's some people's favorite verse in the book of Acts. It may be some favorite verse in all the Bible. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Verse 32, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. 
Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the officer, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said, No, I kind of like it here. <laughs> I didn't leave when the earthquake happened. I'm not going to leave now. No, look what it says. It says, But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. So we're going to talk about why Paul is so clear about that and why he's doing that. Like in a lot of other areas, Paul is not just doing this for himself, but he's taking a stand for a precedent that will help other believers as they face interactions with civil authorities later. Verse 38, And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Uh-oh! Romans have rights! Uh-oh! We beat Roman citizens without a fair trial! Uh-oh! They could call for, they could pass this along to our upper ups, and we'd be the ones beaten, thrown in prison, maybe even worse. Uh, then they came, these officials, and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. Will you please leave? Please leave quietly, etc. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Mm. Must trust situations. So we're going to first look at verses 19 to 24, some unfair circumstances. Unfair circumstances. Tells us that this slave girl's owners saw their prof hope of profit was gone. And they looked at what happened to Paul and Silas starting in verse 19. And we see the kind of words that happened to Paul there. He was seized. Paul and Silas were seized. They were dragged. They were attacked. They were stripped. They were beaten with rods, inflicted with many blows, thrown into jail, securely guarded, thrown in the inner prison, feet and stocks. I know we covered some of these things last week. It just goes with this uh, next part of the passage that we're in. But if you're like me, with all that unfair treatment, I'd want to scream out, That's unfair! Man, and, and I wouldn't be just screaming to people. I'd be screaming to God. God, this, why? You know, where's that abundant life we talked about, you know? Um, now, Paul and Silas hadn't done something wrong. They had done something right. But where was God? How could He allow something like this to happen to them? And sometimes we're like that. Uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, you've heard me uh, compare um, you know, the approach that some of us have as believers to the child playing the video game, you know, in video game, the reward for conquering one level is going to the next level. But when you get there, it's tougher and faster and harder. And if they conquer that level, the reward is to go to the next level to and things come tougher, harder and faster and so on throughout the game until they conquer it. Right. And when life's like that, though, we go, not fair, not fair, God. I just assumed that Placing my faith and trust in you would mean uh, things would go easier in life. Uh, and uh, then we see that's not necessarily the case, you know, that sometimes, uh, you know, in addition to all the normal suffering that happens by living in a sin-stained world, a sin affected by the original sin in the fall, uh, we not only get that normal suffering, the rain that falls on the just and the unjust alike, but we get an extra burden for bearing the name of the Lord in a world that hates His guts. And so, if anything, the real message of Christianity is normal amount of suffering plus what you're going to get by the reproach of faith in Christ. 
because this world is not all there is. We've got to factor in eternity to make sense of all that. Uh, some of the best saints on earth get treated horribly by people, and it's uh, very much, we can say, unfair. Now, the psalmist saw those things, and many of them cried out, How long, O God, until we have that you-on-earth kind of feel that the Scriptures talk about? And certainly... All of creation is moving toward the renewal of all things, you know, when that happens and Christ reigns on earth. And then the new earth where we're with God forever. But many times it can take us back. Um, so undoubtedly that's the response we will see Paul have, right? I mean, uh, you know, I, I've known some wonderful preachers that when they face a hardship, all of a sudden, you know, almost turning into, into cursing, cursing human beings, you know, God, this is not fair. How come my family's experiencing this? How come my church is experiencing this? You know, we were serving you and it ought to go great. And then it doesn't. Well, we don't see Paul with a negative response because Paul and Silas respond to their unfair circumstances with, and here's your next fill in the blank, unnatural responses. Verse 25 and 26, a natural response. It says, At midnight they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So the exact opposite response of what we might expect to having experienced hardship. And I think about myself, and I think, okay, uh, sometimes my faith has been there, and other times uh, I, haven't been, I haven't been singing hymns of, oh, this is great, you know, oh, you know. Eddie might not get to walk his daughter down the aisle this week. Hoo hoo, hooray! You know, um, praise you, Lord. You know, uh, no, Lord, well, that doesn't seem right. Let him, let him be able to do that, and we hope he does. Um, one question we ask is, how come it's Paul and Silas, but not Luke and Timothy? How come Paul and Silas uh, are singing praises in the jail, and it doesn't look like Luke and Timothy are in the jail? Um, any thoughts on that? Let's look at verse 20 again. Verse 20, They brought them to the magistrates and said, They had seized Paul and Silas, These men being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. So it indicates this might have been a little bit about some anti-Semitism because we know Luke was a Gentile when we connect the dots with Colossians 4 and what we learned there that he was not a Jew. And we know that Timothy was only half Jewish. And about this time the Emperor Claudius expelled Jews from Rome. But we've also got something going on here where, uh, you know, what affects some believers more, and you would think that it would affect all of them, Sometimes just some get caught up in the net and others don't, right? So Paul and Silas, they're in the jail. They're the ones singing praises. They're going to have this unnatural response here to singing. And uh, it appears that uh, uh, Timothy and uh, Luke were maybe raising their bail somewhere or something, you know, trying to uh, get on CNN to talk about it or something. But uh, Christianity was now view, uh, new enough to be viewed as a sect of the Jews. Neither Jews nor Christians would worship the gods of the state. So, now I would love to hear what Paul and Silas were praying and singing. Uh, I wish it was recorded, don't you? Uh, and we'd probably still be singing it to this day. And there are a couple places um, where it looks like what Paul includes is a hymn. Uh, like where he says the one about, you know, God, this is a faithful saying, uh, you know, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, all those, you know, that wonderful thing there, and some others like it. Uh, they think that too about 1 Corinthians 15, where it says, um, this is the gospel that we share with you. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. 
was buried, was raised the third day. They think that might have been a hymn that the early church sang. So maybe some of that was in there. Um, but looking at Paul's prayers in his letters, he was probably praying for other believers and churches and that God would use his current circumstances for God's glory and the advancement of the gospel. Um, I really like the hymn writer William Cooper. Now, his name is spelled Cowper uh, in American English, but uh, it's Cooper in British English. And um, if I was to tell you about the hymn book put out in the 1700s, I believe it was, called The Only Hymns, O-L-N-E-Y, The Only Hymns. Uh, they were the hymns of mostly two authors. There was 60-something hymns by William Cooper, the one who wrote um, the, uh, about, uh, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners washed beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains. That's William Cooper, his most famous hymn. Do you know who the other hymn writer was that the only hymns had? Amazing Grace, John Newton. And John Newton uh, loved Jesus, of course. He was a converted slave trader. Uh, he wrote Amazing Grace. This Sunday we're going to sing my favorite John Newton hymn. Uh, that Eddie's uh, got a nice little refrain from that I think is going to get sung more and more out there. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds. Uh, I love it. I, I love Amazing Grace, but how sweet the name of Jesus sounds goes over and over again with the name of Jesus. And Amazing Grace, as great as it is, doesn't have the name of Jesus in it. You know, So I, I love the fact you can sing a hymn like Amazing Grace and it talk about that he's our prophet, priest, and king, you know, and how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. But anyway, I, I gave you, I think, the words in your bulletin there or your notes there. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. So that is um, William Cooper's hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, that it just has beautiful uh, lyrics to it. Uh, William Cooper struggled with melancholy his entire life. Several times tried to commit suicide. Uh, and um, in our day, if it was 200, 300 years later, they probably would have put him on some sedatives to help him stay regular. I don't know if that would have kept him from being the great hymn writer what he wa that he was. Sometimes a mad genius type Christian or other author kind of thing, you know, uh, it's in those manic moments that the hymns come out, you know, and God's just sovereign that way, you know. But... Uh, William Cooper had a great friend in John Newton. There was a dear uh, widow lady that uh, helped him out too a lot, and, and she, he lived at her uh, estate and things like that. Um, but John Newton uh, kept dragging him into usefulness for the Lord. And sometimes we have a melancholy friend that likes to close up all the shades and be away from people, and it's good to get them back out. Um, so, uh, but they weren't um, hiding here. They're singing praises. These weren't two whip prisoners in the corner feeling sorry for themselves. They were two overcomers who knew they were in Christ and that God was with them. And their prayers and praise extended even until midnight. And I heard this, uh, I read this passage as a young believer. And uh, it has inspired me the rest of my days as it has many of you. You know, and there's many times when I've responded at my best, when things have been at their worst, uh, one of the thoughts that's popped into my mind is, remember Paul and Silas, they're unfairly treated and in prison, and there they are singing praises. Uh, one of the best stories of my life like that was, uh, you know, 
after my senior season of playing soccer at Bryan College, I had a surgery that had been coming for several years. I had terrible bunions uh, on both sides of both legs and uh, feet and the bunionectomies, uh, the, the little bunions too, you know, uh, there. And they were very painful. And after my senior soccer season, said, see, I had some bad advice. Um, um, my grandma had big old bunions like that too, but I think for her it was wearing her, uh, you know, high heels too uh, uh, short or something, you know, just pressed them in all the more. So it was a genetic component, but for me, Back in high school, a soccer player from England had told us, if you really want to be a great soccer player, your foot needs to be like a, in, the, in the boots, in the, um, in the cleats, like a glove. And he said, so I recommend you wear a size too small so it's right there, you know. And so I had done that, you know, uh, and it didn't help, you know. I, my legs were aching by the time I was uh, done with my college career. So after my senior soccer season, I still had a semester of Brian left. Uh, to go in school, but so during the Christmas break, I had those that surgery where they just shaved the bone down, and it's as painful as it sounds. And I had that on the, the big toes and the other side of the big toe, and uh, the, the the next toe in that comes into it and stuff. Very very painful. Very very painful. And I had these casts on, so I had casts on both feet. And I looked like Donald Duck's feet, you know, on the edges I'd be. And uh, so, but I mean, I was happy in Jesus because I was a young believer and I went back to the campus there at Bryan. And, you know, Bryan is a hilly campus. Uh, it takes a lot to get around those hills on crutches and things. And, you know, and there's a lot of places where you're walking below and a person 20 feet above can be 20 feet above you on a ledge or something. You not know they're there and can hear you and stuff like that. So I know this sounds cheesy and corny, but I was, uh, you know, just just happy, you know, just joyful in the Lord. And, uh, you know, um, so I'm doing the crutches and going along, you know, with these feet and everybody's passing me by because that's what you do when you can get somewhere faster than people on crutches and stuff. But I'm singing. I'm on the top of the world looking down on creation. And the only explanation I can find is the love that I found ever since you've been around. And Jesus, your love puts me on top of the world, you know. And I know the song is not, uh, I, I, was, I made it about Jesus, you know. And a fella named Donald Buttram was 20 feet above, and he was just going through some real struggles in his life and heart at the time. And, and he told me later, he said, I look down and I mean, you just look so bad in those with those crutches and the, and the feet and all that things. And he said, you know what, if Danny can be going through that and singing a praise to the Lord in a corny way like that, I, 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 what I'm going through is not that bad, you know. And so people are watching, right? That fellow's in the ministry today, neat fellow. Um, I got to be his uh, coach uh, his, uh, um, that year in soccer. But anyway, um, Folks, others are always watching, just like these prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas, always listening to see if you do, if what you say and do matches what you've previously said you believe. If the things you say when you're up still hold true when you're down, Paul and Silas' response is the opposite of what almost all of us would have done. And um, I think that's where we as believers really make the impact, you know? I mean, uh, when we. When we get frustrated about something and act as the world would and complain like the world does and stuff like that, uh, it, it looks just like the world. Uh, but when we're going through something very tough and the opposite and the reaction happens, a Christ-like reaction during tough things, that's where others go on and say, I want what you got. Where'd you get it? You know. 
And uh, that's what's happening here and oftentimes happens to us as well. So Paul and Silas were able to do this because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in them to be sure. I mean, that's what this is about. You don't have moments like this if God's just not got you, you know. The good news is that we're told that same power is in every one of us as true believers. Amen? Every one of us has the same power that rose Christ from the dead, which is awesome to think about. And we too can walk in that power rather than our own strength. Okay, so we've seen how uh, this was unfair and yet this unnatural response. And then there's unlikely results, verses 27 to 34. So earlier in Acts, Peter left prison by divine intervention. This time, neither Paul nor the other prisoners escaped, but instead are having an evangelistic Bible study. And again, wouldn't you love to see it? Wouldn't you just love to see? I mean, these guys, some of them might have been murderers. Some of them might have been thieves. Uh, some of them, uh, well, who knows? You know about all the possibilities for criminals and things, right? And yet they had also, not just the jail, the prisoners were listening to them. And uh, they, uh, so they, they, when they had the opportunity to leave, these guys didn't leave. Instead, they went to Paul and Silas and said, what's going on here? You know, how can you, know, how can you sing? We've heard the story. You got mistreated, right? Um, and it's just really, really cool to think about it all happening. But uh, we saw this distraught jailer because he had lost his prisoners, or so he thought in his mind. There's an earthquake, they're all free, and my, my senior authorities don't ask questions. They just say, they want, a, they want a fall guy, they want a scapegoat, right? It's going to be me. So um, for losing his prisoners, Rome said he could be forced to serve their sentences or worse, be executed for his failure. And earlier in Acts, Herod had done that to the guys who had guarded Peter. Remember that in earlier in Acts? Uh, Peter gets out. What did Herod do? He killed the guys that were guarding Peter. It's your fault he went. They, he didn't know about the angel. God took care of Herod, though. So get this contrast here. Paul and Silas were prisoners, but they were spiritually free. This guy was a guard on the other side of the bars, but he was spiritually bound. Um, and when we react different than the world would, it changes everything. It just brings people in these different situations together. The jailer realized they had something he didn't have. So what does he do? He trembles and he asks them for it. Now, verse 31 has been called the John 3.16 of the book of Acts. Uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Um, so here we see what needs to happen for someone to be saved. You need to know that you need to be saved. You need to be made aware that Jesus is willing and able to save those who believe the fact there is a Savior. And you need to respond to the gospel with trust. Believe on the Lord Jesus with all your heart. And so at that moment when we believe, salvation happens. Uh, and it is interesting, you know, some people pull a verse or two out of Acts and they insist that you have to be baptized to be saved from Acts 2.38. Um, but uh, you go along and it's made clear Salvation is a sovereign act of God that when that happens, people respond with repentance and belief and they're saved. And then as one of the first acts of their outward obedience, they get baptized to show what's happened inside already. And then they go on to obey Christ in every area of their life. Note verse 32 makes clear they fully explained what believing meant. And after believing, he and his family got baptized. So I like the fact that um, it says he washed their wounds and then they put him through the waters of baptism, which is pretty cool. Um, 
I wonder if Paul had this converted guard in mind when he wrote in Philippians 4, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think Paul had a softness for all the guys that he had guarded him in all his different imprisonments. And um, uh, this was one of them, and many of them wound up turning to Christ. Well, the last section shows us Paul utilizing rights. So I've got another U for you there, the word utilizing, utilizing rights. So it says in verse 35, And when it was day, the magistrate sent the officer saying, Let those men go. And we see as we read down through there, Paul said, No, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. Uh, the magistrates were hoping they could say, okay, there was a riot yesterday. Let's just get these guys out and send them away. And Paul then, and only then, brings up his Roman citizenship. Now, this is the first. We're going to see three more times. So there's four times in the book of Acts where Paul, we, we hear of Paul's Roman citizenship. In chapter 22, he claims his rights as a Roman citizen to avoid another beating. Um, but here, he doesn't speak of his rights until after he's already received the unfair treatment. Um, so they had violated his rights to a fair trial in so many ways, and he had no due process prior to punishment. So these were rights afforded to him as a Roman citizen. And isn't it interesting that at least this time, he did not exercise those in the front end, wound up getting the beating, getting the imprisonment, and it led to the jailer being saved along with some of those prisoners. You know, I love the Church of Philippi. Can you think about it? I mean, when they had those church services, they had up-and-out women, down-and-out women. They had uh, pr former prisoners and the people that had guarded them. <laughs> you know, it's really neat to think about the stories of God's glory and grace. But um, so these, uh, when they realized that the men had done nothing wrong, the authority sent the guard to release Paul. But he makes clear he wants a public apology. Why did he want a public apology where the public sees the authorities apologizing and letting them go? Um, any thoughts on that? Why does he want to make sure that they just don't sweep him out of town quietly, but he gets a public apology uh, on record apology from them before he'll leave? Any thoughts? It's a tough one to ponder, but I think you'd come to it as you kept thinking it through. Um, it's not so much for himself, but for the next Christians that are going to get arrested, right? The next Christians that were going to have their rights violated somewhere in Rome. We know Paul's heart was an evangelistic heart. He wanted more people to come to Christ. We know that he wanted to get missionary activity done. He wanted to go to where the gospel hadn't been and plant churches. And yet we're going to see, as we especially get to about Acts 21 to 28, those final places where Paul went to prison and appeared before this leader and then that Roman leader and then that Roman leader and got sent all the way to Rome, that Paul knew that for the church uh, to uh, you know, have peace, somebody was going to have to uh, appear before those magistrate, magistrates and tell the world what it was about and keep on going like that, you know. And he was willing to take some of those beatings and clarify some of those rights so others would be able to benefit from that later on. 
And uh, that makes the Baptist part of me that loves religious liberty, you know, very excited to think of him having this, that ministry for all the other preachers and missionaries and Christians that would uh, share as they went. So he could have made it a lot worse for them. As a citizen, he could have demanded higher Roman officials fire these men. And Philippi as a city could have had certain, even had certain rights revoked. So he could have made life difficult for the Roman official magistrates and the whole city. And Philippi didn't want to lose their status as a Roman city, but they could have been put on probation if they treated somebody as Paul had been treated. But he claims his rights just enough to help the fledgling church there in Philippi. And that's a real testimony for us today as we struggle to live in this secular culture. I mean, it's getting hard up in here, you know, and we hear stories of people that just wanted to bake cakes. And all of a sudden, because they wouldn't say uh, bake a a wedding cake for a gay married couple, um, then they start getting fines and uh, shutdowns and things like that. Same thing with florists and others and coaches that want to coach their team and other things. And there are so many ways that a godless uh, society, a godless um, uh, magistrates, godless rulers at the all levels are trying to make life difficult, you know, for the church. And, you know, it's getting even hotter up in the kitchen, isn't it? Because 20 years ago, a lot of them would have said, well, it's okay for you to go in your churches and say those things and say them to your kids and your family and things like that. But when you come in the public square, you can't do that here at all. But now the laws, the policies, the procedures increasingly are trying to get things changed so you can't act out your faith and biblical faith in your church houses uh, and um, also in your um, homes. We'll take those kids away if you're teaching them that, you know. Uh, If you don't provide equal access no matter what bathroom people want to use and stuff like that, you know, it's like, wait a second, we think men should go to the men's room and women should go to the women's room and, you know, uh, you you can't tell a church, you know. Uh, But, you know, in Virginia, during those two years of very liberal uh, COVID days, um, they they pretty much went right up to passing laws that said we're coming for the church if they, you know, uh, don't allow equal access in bathrooms and stuff. And so, um, it's, uh, there's a lot of this current legislature trying to fight back against some of those things that were overreaching during that time. But, you know, as the Lord tarries, more and more that's, is that, of that's going to happen. And certainly it's the kind of confusion Antichrist will want to happen uh, after the rapture during the time of the tribulation. But anyway, uh, Paul's testimony is great for us as we struggle to live in our own secular culture. Uh, We want to utilize the rights we have in this pluralistic society, but not necessarily overdo it. Paul accepts their request to leave at the time because more rioting could have happened if he stayed. But he has one certain standing for the church in Philippi. So now we're getting to your fill in the blank. The days we are in are going to require following Paul's lead here. It's a tricky balance and we're going to make mistakes. So we need to let our graciousness be known to all men. Don't judge fellow believers taking a different approach than you do. And, uh, and help and support one another and other Christians as they're working through things. So, uh, you know, we've got members that have kids uh, that want to be involved in a gay marriage or something, you know. And we've got members that say, no, I would not go to that because I can't, I can't give my approval. You know, I, I don't believe God's blessing that union. I, don't, I think if you go, you're giving your approval. And so I'm not going to go at all. And we've got other uh, 
Christians that are looking at that situation and saying, yeah, but I want to keep ongoing relationship with my child going. And so, and um, you may know very clearly what you would do. Um, we've got to, of course, continue to believe sin is sin and things are wrong. Uh, but two different believers, one may go, one may not. And there's going to be a host of issues like that uh, that are just very hard to navigate through. And, um, you know, when you come and talk to a pastor about it, it's not a it's not always a 30-second conversation. Sometimes that's in half, half an hour prayer and boo-hoo and look at different aspects of the word situation and stuff, you know. So I don't know if that was the best example or not. But Now, we is in verse 17. So Luke's with them there in verse 17 uh, and resumes later. Perhaps Luke stayed and helped the church there for a while. So Paul, uh, Luke's going to be back in after a while. But suffering, however it comes, is a must-trust situation. So let's just take a few minutes and look at the kinds of suffering situations we may find ourselves in. One is a mysterious situation where we can't really know the reason we are suffering. So this sin-saturated world is full, filled with suffering. Um, sometimes we suffer because of our own sinful choices, and we know it. Uh, I remember talking to a lady one time, and she was uh, dying of lung cancer. And I said, I saw her in the hospital. I said, oh, you know, she's like 50, you know. And I said, I'm so sorry this is happening to you. And it's such a, and such a surprise to you, too. And she said, it's not a surprise. I've smoked three packs of cigarettes a day for 30 years or whatever. And she was making the connection, you know, that the uh, science does sometimes between that and, and hurting your health and stuff. Um, sometimes because of the sinful choices of others, you know, you can see, yeah, that dad messed up that child. And look, you know, there they are still suffering. Um, sometimes because of the type of world this is after Adam and Eve's original sin. So sometimes we, we can't connect dots. Uh, sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. And the Bible cautions us about always connecting the dots. The great book on that is the book of Job. Job's friends just knew that Job must have done something to deserve the suffering he was going through. But it was totally mysterious to Job. Job affirms several times that he's a sinner, but he can't make a direct connection between what he's experiencing and any sin that he had sinned. And, um, and we know, as, as the readers, we know what those friends don't know, that Job was not suffering because he was one of God's least favorites. He was suffering because he was one of God's biggest favorites, you know. Uh, and it's all mysterious. And, but Job, uh, Satan was not allowed to do to Job any more than God would allow. And God allowed a lot more than we're comfortable with sometimes when we look at that. But he also received great glory through the faith resolution to the whole story and Job's unwavering trust in God, even as he's asking God a lot of questions. And I love the affirmation that he makes, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know, that's, that's powerful stuff. Um, sometimes we try to figure out why we or others are suffering. But instead of focusing on what for answers, the Bible directs us to what now choices. Um, so sometimes folks, we're just not going to be able to figure it out. And instead of asking what for, we need to ask what now and have that filled in with clear choices the Bible would have us make to pray for others, to forgive, to act in faith when others didn't, you know, etc. John 9 is the great passage where the disciples asked Jesus, uh, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither. Who sinned, Daniel Ritchie or his parents, that he was born without arms? Neither. But this happened for the glory of God. In the blind man's instance, it was because a time was coming he was going to have his sight, but he became both 
physically able to see and spiritually able to see. And the big point of the story is the ones with the real problem are the spiritually blind, like the Pharisees that could not see. Um, you know, and in Daniel Ritchie's case, uh, it's also for the glory of God. He'll never have arms just magically grow. On the new earth, he'll have arms in a new body. Uh, God will take that DNA pattern that was his life and he'll have arms to be in a new body on the new earth. And it'll be as perfect as any other body's body's body, any other body's body. Um, but uh, mysterious situations there. Um, and we already talked about Job's friends there. So uh, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, um, Everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will experience persecution. So again, uh, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Paul says, Everybody that desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will experience persecution. Believers get all the normal stuff and then even extra because they serve God in a, a world that doesn't like Him. Well, the second one is a used of God situation. A used of God situation. Um, sometimes the suffering situation we find ourselves in is something uh, used to God's situation. I've written 2 Corinthians 1, 4 there. That's the passage where he says, Blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in any affliction that we go through so we can be a comfort to others going through affliction. And so there are things that we got wrong that once God saved us we can have a ministry in. A recovering alcoholic, right? Um, you know, uh, so um, you didn't, uh, you know, you, you put yourself in a situation to be a substance abuser, but now God's got a hold of you, and through you, He ministers hope to others that they can recover as well. That's a used to God situation. Um, sometimes others sinned against you, um, and uh, it's awful to think about the different kinds of abuse that go on. But when God really gets a hold of your heart and you fall in love with Him, you realize that maybe part of that story, what that person meant from bad, God can use for good so you can encourage others that have been abused in some way in this world. A used to God situation. It's not necessarily that uh, in a plan A world it would have happened, but uh, you recognize that uh, God's got a hold of you and it's part of your story and God can use it, you know. And it may be as simple as some way that he's used you in family and extended family situations as well. Well, the third one is a sanctifying situation. Uh, let me read James 1, 2 through 4. James 1, It says, My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so we've got a trial. Uh, we didn't necessarily want it to come along in our life, but we recognize that God uses such things to keep us humble. He uses them to uh, prune us. He uses those to discipline us so that we can go on and bear much fruit for His glory. I also want to read you 1 Peter 2, 19 and 20. Where it says... Um, for this is commendable if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is to you when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, you take it patiently. This is commendable before God. 
And so even though Paul and Silas didn't deserve to be in this situation, uh, they, um, uh, God used it as part of their own growth in the Lord to know that God will meet you where you are and work miraculously in the midst of tough things. Later, Paul wrote these same Philippians, and I want to read you Philippians 1, 29 and 30, uh, because it goes right along. And since we're talking about the Philippians and those that became the Philippian church, they might have remembered some of these moments when Paul says, Philippians 1, 29 and 30, he says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Huh. So, I... I I remember when I first read this verse, I recoiled against it in frustration. <laughs> Let me read it for you again. For to you it has been granted. Okay, so Vicki, to you has been given the gift <laughs> on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for His sake. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, sir. I have another, right? <laughs> Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So Paul's telling them as they're growing in Christ and they're experiencing hardship for their faith. He's saying, guess what, gang? God has rewarded your faith with some difficult situations so your faith can shine through just like you saw the faith shine through when Paul and Silas and I got put in prison and we were singing rather than saying, woe is me. Now you're getting your moment like that, he writes to the Philippians. And you know what? Some of those ones that heard that may have been among those prisoners who'd gotten saved. Might have been among that jailer's family who'd gotten saved. Might have been that slave girl. Might have been among Lydia's family and stuff like that that still lived over there in Philippi. Pretty cool to think about, right? Um, and uh, so that's gone forth for 2,000 years, and now it's us. And sometimes when something hard comes along that would make us struggle, uh, can, can you hear Paul saying, Oh, goody! Goody for you, church! You've got something tough to face now. And so what God does is, what the devil and people may mean for bad, God will use for good even if we didn't like it and would never have invited it into our own life. I can testify about that. I think uh, recently I've talked about uh, the hard conflict as a pastor I had in 03 and 04, 18 months of hell on earth, uh, and it was the hardest time I've had in my entire life. Um, as, but, but I can tell you, I grew during that time and made some commitments during that time that have characterized my strength in the Lord and ministry ever since. Looking back, I still would not have brought that into my life. But God allowed it to be in my life as part of what He was using to sanctify me, to make me even more useful for His service. Praise His name. Uh, Isaac McCoy, this is a, a 1700s, I'm sorry, 1800s example. He was a missionary to Indians. He said, we ought not to conclude that we've lost the way merely because the path is rough. Anybody here read Pilgrim's Progress? In Pilgrim's Progress, uh, a lot of rough ways in there, right? A lot of places where the right choice is the narrow hard way and the broad way is a bad way, right? Isaac McCoy, we ought not to conclude we've lost the way merely because the path is rough. And then 
Look at this letter he wrote to his wife and fellow overcomer. I think I gave you this too. You and I, my dear, have been called in providence to experience much trouble, fatigue, and self-denial. Nevertheless, we've always possessed the best blessings on earth. We have ever lived together in one mind, enjoying the sweetest peace and affection that conjugal ties can bind together. We are helped in relation to our children and are blessed, are blessed in being called of God to suffer for His sake. Paul says, God has given you a gift, not just to believe in Him, but to suffer for His sake. Well, the fourth one is a temporary situation. I already mentioned John 16.33 where Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 4 there. Because 2 Corinthians 4... says it this way, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want you to think about some of the people you know that have just had a real hard time, a lot of suffering, a lot of physical pain or emotional pain or prodigal child pain or whatever it is, you know. And um, things in life can get real tough. They can get hard. They can get frustrating. Think about John and Jean. Uh, you know who John and Jean are. Many of you, I won't give the last name on here, but the, um, you know, just what wonderful people. And uh, the last five years have been one physical hardship after another, you know. And uh, you, you, uh, I remember getting prayer cards from members uh, when I first came. John Noble had had members write down prayer requests. And I remember Gene's uh, was that God would be glorified through my life as I deal with my physical situations. And to know her is to know that that has come true, even though it's a hard road, a hard path and stuff. But praise the Lord. It's all temporary, right? Momentary afflictions compared to all that awaits. And we're so thankful for that. For the believer, all the suffering comes now. It comes now. There's no suffering after death. In the meantime, what Paul wrote to Philippians in chapter 4 is also true. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. That doesn't mean I can go dunk a basketball. It does mean that I can do everything He's called me to do, even with a path is hard and it involves going through suffering. Uh, with the presence of Christ in my heart and life and the sure promise of heaven, we can make it through. And uh, Paul and Silas certainly modeled that for us in their situation in Philippi. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.